Welcome back to another episode of the IVPN Adans Collaboration Series. Today we're talking about remote learning for researchers in a post-pandemic world. In this episode, we look at the state of online researcher training from the perspectives of both trainers and trainees. How has the pandemic impacted researcher training? How are training approaches evolving? What are the options available to researchers looking for quality online training? Dr. Gareth Dyke, the Adans Education Manager, and Scott McCleary, the Adans Instructional Design Manager, will be discussing that topic today. All right, great. Thanks, Mariam. And um, welcome back to another in our Adans IVPN podcast series. And today I'm joined by my very good friend and colleague, Scott McCleary, who is the guy who created Learning Lab. So if you haven't checked out the Edance Learning Lab yet, learning.edance.com, we strongly encourage you to have a go at doing so. Scott, how are you doing today? Thanks, Gareth. It's great to be here. We, we've been working together for a bit more than half a year now, and uh, this is our first chance to do this kind of, of a podcast together. It's, uh, I think it's going to be fun. Absolutely. So in this podcast, what we're going to do today, what we thought we'd do today is have a look at remote learning for researchers in a post-pandemic world. I mean, the world has changed a lot for people like us, for everybody, but for people who do training, um, like Scott and I, like the pandemic has caused a dramatic change in the way that we engage with learners, the way that we engage with researchers and students. So we're going to have a look at online researcher training from the perspective of trainers and trainees, what the options are available to researchers looking for quality online training and how the pandemic has impacted researcher training. So I think we'll just get started and jump straight in and ask Scott to tell us a little bit about his career as a research trainer. Scott, how long have you been training researchers and what would be some of your career highlights, would you say, as a research trainer? Some highlights. Yeah, well, first, before I talk about professionally, um, just in my personal life, a number of my family members are, are scientists, my parents, my, my wife, and my cousins, and, and many of them are non-Western, non-native English-speaking researchers. So just personally, I've, I've seen the experiences that they have and some of the barriers that they face um, trying to compete on an even playing field with the rest of, of the global scientific community. And as far as professionally, uh, well, I've been an instructional designer now for about 17 years. And early on, I had a chance to work as a communications uh, trainer teaching a presenting and debating course at a hospital here in Tokyo, a large national hospital called NCGM. And there I had a chance to work with some brilliant clinicians, some fantastic researchers, and helping them to communicate their findings and their experiences, their medical experiences in English. And many of them I'm still close with to this day. But what I remember about that was just the sheer dedication of the clinicians there. At that time, it was the SARS pandemic 
two of my students were infectious disease researchers. And I remember being impressed with their dedication and their idea of service to the scientific community. And I remember thinking at that time, it's so important that we level the playing field because we don't know where the next discoveries are going to come from in the world. And those discoveries can really benefit the entire global community. So we have to help researchers from anywhere in any language to communicate their findings. And let me ask you the same question, Gareth. I know you have a storied career as a researcher and you've published nearly 300 papers and you yourself are a journal editor, but I'm interested today in your career as a trainer. How long have you been training researchers and what are some of your highlights as a trainer? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of fell into it actually because I was doing editing work um, after kind of leaving full-time academia like in 2015 2016 i was doing editing work and then i kind of um, realized um, through some opportunities that came my way that some of the teaching background that, that i'd had as an academic um, training teaching students in a university context um, could be transferred over to help researchers who don't speak english as a native language who are you know, second language learners to help them to understand the publication process and the research writing process. So I guess my career highlights as a trainer have been, you know, meeting lots of great people, lots of um, young researchers, especially, and, and being able to apply some of the some of the tricks and some of the techniques that I had um, developed, I suppose, in my own academic career to English writing and just help people. I mean, that's been that's been the highlight for me, definitely. And and we've learned a lot. Um, we'll talk about it in a minute, but we've learned an awful lot about how we can better engage with people in an online world. Well, Gareth, I've noticed you're extremely good at engagement, and and I'm glad you mentioned engagement because it's a key word in what I do in the field of instructional design and and pedagogy. We talk about engagement all the time. Um, learners are not going to learn if they're not engaged and that's a challenge that we face especially with online learning for our listeners gareth uh, tell them what what is your current position with edance my position at edance is as author education um, manager so i guess i'm responsible for for some aspects of content creation which comes from my experience experiences as a researcher as a writer um yeah. So and and providing training, we do a lot of um, work together, don't we? And we, you know, for example, every month we we present like a, a free Edance webinar. So if you haven't um, had the chance to sign up for one of those yet, uh, do get onto the Learning Lab and um, see the see the events page. You can always sign up for one of our free webinars. We do them every month. Yeah. We do, we do, and we invite all IVPN listeners to to come and join us. But I wanted to loop back, Gareth, uh, just a little bit and ask you about making that transfer that you mentioned earlier, moving from your uh, training as an academic and then moving that online. Did you have any formal training in, in uh, you know, in education in, in pedagogy, andragogy or education methodologies at all? Was there any formal training for you or was that just sort of hard earned through your experiences as a trainer? Interesting. Yeah, interesting question. I've thought about this a lot, like over the last year and a half. And the answer, the short answer to that question is no. 
Um, I remember when I got my first job um, in Ireland, actually, in, a, in around 2000, 2003, 2004. And I was just, you know, quite young at the time. Um, and I was just told to get started, go into that lecture theatre and start teaching. So <laughs> right. I mean, in terms of formal training, like I did take um, when I worked in the UK and when I also later in my career working in in Dublin, I did do some some short training courses as part of the university um, career development, personal development, and the higher education authority um, ended up accrediting um, lecturers basically at, at universities. But I mean, no, I mean, most of what I've done has just been um, from my own experience and almost all of it until a year and a half ago, two years ago, until the start of the of the current pandemic, almost all of it was not online. Almost all of it was offline, face to face, in a lecture theatre with a slideshow and with a white with a whiteboard kind of training. So right. yeah, I mean, I, I'm keen to learn. One of the great things about working with Edance has been that I'm able to learn a, a huge amount from from colleagues, um, training and educating, and also in the marketing. Um, areas so I mean this is great for me I'm, I'm just learning learning all the time <laughs> aren't we aren't we every day learning something new that's so true so Scott you've obviously got a huge amount of experience creating online content and, and providing online training but which which specific online learning formats have you worked with and, and what would you say some of the main challenges you face as a trainer when working online versus the old days versus the face-to-face -face world that we used to we used to live in what would you what would you say about that um, for some of the challenges, well, one of them is finding the best way to bring an expert's knowledge to people and, and to choose the right medium for each type of training. Um, for example, uh, talking about the pandemic, when the pandemic first hit, uh, I got a lot of panicked emails from uh, friends, lecturers at uh, academics at universities saying, what do I do, right? I'm supposed to put all my courses online. You know, Scott, you're the online guy. What? <laughs> Tell me what to do. So my first uh, response was usually to tell people, look, don't panic. This, uh, you know, the first thing we'll get you to do is just get your lectures online and uh, we can work out some of the pedagogies later. And that's essentially what we've seen people do is they've taken their lectures and essentially put them into a Zoom room. And um, and we needed that at that time. We needed that normalcy of a regular meeting time with your group, with your students. But now, fast forward to a year and a half later, and we're finding, oh, right, so maybe my students are falling asleep during my one-hour Zoom lectures. Maybe there's a better way to deliver this training. So I find a lot of people are now discovering that there are other ways to deliver. For example, the flipped model. If you're not familiar with it, it's where you do your homework in class and you listen to the lectures or watch the lectures at home. So it's flipped from the traditional schoolhouse model that we've been doing for the last 300 years. And there's a growing body of evidence that this is just a better way, a more engaging way to deliver training. But back to you for a minute, Gareth. What are some of the challenges that you've faced and what are some of the platforms that you've used to try to reach researchers? Wow, yeah, uh, thanks for the great question. I'll, um, the second part of that, um, I mean, just about every platform that I can think of has been a platform that we've tried to use or, or different universities have tried to use. I mean, I did a lot of 
um, work in China online over the last year and a half. So a variety of different platforms, but they're all basically the same kind of thing. And I think that's where the big challenge for us really comes, because I mean, if we just take Zoom or or one of these platforms as an example, then what you can do compared to what you would have previously been able to do in a face-to-face setting is actually very limited. So our main challenge, I think, I, I would say, is how we've had to adapt quickly and develop our teaching styles for the online uh, format, for the Zoom room, um, as you put it. So, nice. I mean, lots of trainers... Um, I think, have just switched, as you said. They've just taken their lectures and put them online. And, yeah, I mean, for the first few months, that was what people were doing. But now I think, especially um, if we want to engage with people, if we want to really help them to learn, then that that style, that format is just not cutting it anymore. So mm-hmm. I guess um, I watched lots of YouTube videos. I, I took a few online courses and I looked at how um, people who've been successful at doing this in the pre-pandemic world who used to work a lot online before the pandemic, how they how they do it. And I think just some really simple things like computer position, camera position, lighting, uh, body position, like and how and how we've developed this too, Scott, haven't we? Like how we break up our training sessions and and provide opportunities for the audience to to interact interact with us and ask lots of questions exactly engagement is half the battle so you know when we do events you and i we don't just talk through slides for one hour without a break we we do activities we do polling we do q a sessions and break them up throughout the webinar we do games and other activities we do giveaways um, anything to create that that engagement i wanted to quickly follow up on something that you mentioned and that's um, of course, you're an expert at online training and pedagogy, but you've also worked a lot with clinicians and, and medical researchers. How do you think the two areas intersect? And do you think we could learn from medical researchers? So you know, laboratories, you don't do your lab work at home. You come to the laboratory, you do experiments, you do activities under the supervision of a lab leader or an instructor. I believe that lectures should be the same as a laboratory. I think that we should treat our lecture rooms and classrooms more like labs, you know, flip the model, have students do the self-study on-demand training at home, watching videos or listening to recordings, and have them come to class and work together on something, engage them, put them into an activity and work together. So to me, that's sort of the laboratory model of training. And that's one thing that I've taken uh, from clinical training. Great stuff. Fantastic. I mean, let's talk about some of those common questions that we often get from early career researchers and experienced researchers. I know that um, the IVPN colleagues listening to this podcast will be a great mixture of different career stages, uh, working pharmacists, as well as clinicians and active researchers. Um, Scott, what would you say um, how would you characterize some of the most common questions that, that we get um, from early career researchers? Actually, just yesterday, I was going through the questions from our last seven webinars together. One thing I'm happy to see from young researchers is a care and attention to publication ethics. 
plagiarism, p-hacking to avoid negative results, and things like that. I think young researchers are getting the message. Maybe it's because of high-profile scandals in the news and, and retractions, or maybe they're just getting good training from their PhD programs and their advisors. But young researchers are seeing the importance of ethical research and ethical publishing. And I see that in the questions that they ask us. And that's good to see. And and at ANS, uh, we care deeply about research and publication ethics. So we'll continue to, to beat that drum and uh, to try to instill in researchers care and attention to ethical research and, and publishing. Um, what about you, Gareth? What are some of the most common questions that you've gotten, either with our ADANS events or, or other events that you've done? Yeah, um, common questions from early career researchers can span across the whole of the publishing journey. So people ask us common questions, even how to come up with a research idea. What's the best way to identify that knowledge gap? How can I put together a literature review that's effectively covering my research field all the way through to questions about peer review and then journal article submission. So, I mean, people do, though, tend to ask the same kinds of questions um, at early career research stages, irrespective of which region of the world we're, we're focused on at that particular point. So that's been the basis, I know, um, from talking to you, Scott, over the last six months or so. That's formed the basis for a lot of the content that you've curated on the EdAnt Learning Lab. So if anyone listening to this has a question about their writing and publishing journey or just wants to learn more about some of the common issues that other young researchers face, then the Learning Lab is a great place to start. And you'll find there a community of learners who are asking the same questions. So don't be nervous, don't be shy, because probably your question has been asked before and you'll find the answer to your question on the learning lab so yeah jump on over to learning.edance.com what about experienced researchers what about experienced researchers do you think that they have different questions scott experienced researchers right well you are probably better qualified to answer this gareth but i've noticed um and increasing questions about preprints and preprint servers since the pandemic started, of course, because people are looking to preprints for preliminary findings into COVID-19. So people have questions how to publish in them, how trustworthy are the findings, given that many of them are not robustly peer-reviewed, and questions like that. Yeah, so later career stage researchers, more experienced researchers, I mean, they still ask us questions about writing and publishing, but obviously they have more experience writing and publishing, but they still often ask about journal selection, for example. I mean, this is a big area of, I would say, confusion internationally, because there are just so many journals, especially if you're working in pharmacy or medical sciences or, or clinical research. You've just got a vast array of options when it comes to picking your next journal for your next article. And that's really one of the most important choices that researchers make. So I'd say not just at experienced research level, but at all career stages, journal selection is a very, very common area of confusion. That's why Edant's created the Edans Journal Selector tool, which is a great place to go, a great place to 
jump on over and and enter a few keywords, maybe the the title of your paper, and and our Edance Journal Selector tool will help you to target a journal. Scott, I don't know, um, you were involved in developing the Edance Journal Selector tool. Maybe you could just um, give us a quick intro to the to that wonderful tool. Right. Well, it's the original journal selector tool on the internet. We Now, of course, there are other journal selector tools. Several of the big publishers have their own journal selector now. I think ours is still the best. Now, I know I'm biased, but the reason why Edon's journal selector, I think, is still the best is because we are agnostic. If you if you use the journal selector tool from a big publisher, that tool is going to skew the results of your search towards that publisher's journals. Whereas Edons is not beholden to any one publisher. Our results are much more neutral, much more agnostic. So when you put your search terms into the journal selector engine and you try to find a, a journal to publish in for your paper, you're going to get a wider range uh, and a much more unbiased range of results. Also, on the Learning Lab, we have a journal selection course as well. And it's uh, not a very long course. If you spend 20, 30 minutes, go through the course and then combine that with the journal selector tool, I'm sure you're going to have a much better chance of finding the right journal for your paper. So uh, go to tools.edance.com to try the journal selector tool or learning.edance.com and take the free journal selector course. So Scott, um, as, the, as the curator and creator of, of the learning lab, the Edance Learning Lab. Um, how would you how would you say that that this resource can help researchers? What would what would be the the elevator pitch for the Learning Lab? Why should people listening to this podcast engage with the Edance training content? What makes it different to the vast array of other training content that people might find online? Oh, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that, Garrett. So I have my elevator pitch ready. Are you ready? So. Uh, the five C's of Learning Lab. Number one, credible. Number two, concise. Number three, clear. Number four, community-driven. Number five, cost-effective. That's the elevator pitch version. In a little more detail, uh, number one, credible means we've been training researchers for 25 years and our content is expert-curated we have more than 300 experts within the Adans community, so you know our content is credible. Uh, number two, conciseness. So our topics are designed to be uh, short, bite-sized learning pieces, no more than five to seven minutes long. So if you're busy, you're on your coffee break or lunch break in the laboratory, you can take a quick topic and learn something uh, right there, anywhere, anytime. Um, number three, clear. We make our lessons easy to understand, clear, simple English, uh, animations, infographics, so clear and easy to follow. Number four, community-driven. We serve researchers. We don't serve any one publisher. We serve you, the research community. Uh, and five, cost-effective. Uh, it's $30 a year for a premium membership, and we also have lots of free content. And even better, for IVPN listeners, it's 100% free. 
100% free for all IVPN network users and listeners. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can visit the homepage. It's learning.edons.com slash IVPN hyphen 202104. We'll put the links with the podcast, but free signups for all IVPN members. So there you go. There's the five C's of of Learning Lab. Credible, concise, clear, community-driven, and cost-effective, or free, actually. Um, From my perspective, um, having worked with a number of similar companies, other companies, yes, and Edance is a leader in online training. So yeah, it's it's a great pleasure to, to have the opportunity to be able to talk about the Edance Learning Lab in this IVPN podcast. Thanks very much to my colleague, Scott, for um, the opportunity to have this chat today. And again, thanks to everybody for listening. And let me remind you, if you haven't had the opportunity to check out the Edance Learning Lab, you can do that right now, learning.edance.com. Um, and don't forget also that all IVPN network members are able to get free access to all of our Edance training content. We'll put a link um, in order to do that. So Thanks very much, Scott, for your time today. Um, and we'll see you again in the next Edance IVPN podcast presentation. Thank you, Gareth.